0: I've got Evan Pagan on, Evan's someone I've actually known for a long time, since like 2001, um, and Evan's been pretty successful in a, a bunch of different areas on the internet and sort of got going when uh, a lot of things were just getting started, and so I'm, I'm really <laughs> excited to have Evan here. Evan, thanks for joining us.
1: Absolutely. Uh, I'm glad to really be uh, connecting with you again, Adrian, and uh, doing this interview.
0: Cool. Well, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and, and where you've come from?
1: So I guess the short version is, you know, I guess I'm what you call a self-made guy. Um, started out, uh, you know, poor, grew up poor, actually out in the woods in Oregon and really didn't have any frame of reference for success, didn't really know anyone that was successful, kind of had to find my own way. Uh, tried real estate when I was in my early 20s, didn't really do very well at that, uh, but discovered uh... marketing actually more in my mid twenties and uh... that that was really interesting to me um... actually found marketing and sales as a result of trying to do better in the real estate world and as i learned more and more about marketing and sales i realized that this was this was the missing piece this was like the component that almost no one talked about in business uh... when i i was in college I took a couple of years of college and I took one or two business courses. I think I took an advertising course and maybe something else that I can't remember. And when I started learning about direct marketing and kind of more conversion-oriented marketing, I realized this is not the stuff they were talking about in college, but this is the stuff that you know, convinces people to actually take out their wallets and their credit cards and give you their money in exchange for what uh, hopefully is a massive amount of value that you're offering them. And that really good marketing uh, isn't uh, just about, you know, selling people stuff or convincing people to buy stuff. But it's about, you know, communicating value. So that was a big aha. Uh, I went on to start my own consulting business for real estate and mortgage companies. I did that for about three years where I taught them marketing and sales and how to build their business. And then um, in 2001, uh, right, not, not too long before you and I uh, first hung out, I started an Internet marketing business where I, uh, I started it by writing an e-book and putting it on the Internet. Uh, a good friend of mine had written an e-book and was making interesting money selling it online. Uh, Famous on- Dean Jackson. Yep, Dean Jackson. And uh, he kind of showed me a system and said, hey, you should do this. So you know, I'm generalizing and kind of condensing. But I put this, uh, wrote this so e-book. So you met but-
0: Dean because he was in the real estate world, so you got hung out back from then, did you?
1: Yes, exactly. We actually uh, made friends back when I was kind of learning the real estate marketing world, and we actually worked together for a while. That's when we became best friends. And uh, but the ebook and then putting it online was really a game changer for me, Adrian, uh, because I—I I, before that I had never built a website. I hadn't done internet marketing. I didn't know how to do HTML or build lists or any of that stuff. So I had to figure it out. So I locked myself in my bedroom, got a book, got a copy of Microsoft Front Page and started building my website and you know just had to figure it all out how to do email, how to get traffic to the site, how to take payments. But the the day the website came online, I sold, you know, two or three copies of my book and the light bulb over the head, you know, kind of came on and I realized I'm sitting here at my computer, all by myself, basically outsourcing, taking of money, getting of traffic, hosting of websites. All this stuff and I can control it all from this control panel it's almost like a video game that I'm playing and people are coming to the website going through my sales and marketing process buying my product and then downloading it and then the money is getting direct deposited into my account which I can then go spend and uh, you know get some more traffic so I realized something big was going on here and I started to build the business and basically fast forward now seven plus years and I uh, have a team of about 80 full-time employees. Um, we, you know, we're probably running at a run rate right now about 25 million dollars a year in sales. Uh, we've launched several different businesses in uh, different niches, mostly in the relationship and dating advice space, and also in the kind of business marketing, uh, internet marketing space as well. Um, we have a coaching program where we teach others how to publish and make money. Uh, selling information products on the Internet. And uh, now I'm just kind of going into some other ventures and seeing where this uh, takes me.
0: Um, Can you talk about, like, the growth of the the first business? Like, I remember you talking about it was doing ten grand a month or something like that, and that was pretty exciting. And it it, it just kind of went up
1: exponentially, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. um, I was very fortunate. I mean, you know, they say it's better to be lucky than it is to be smart. And uh, really, being smart is really recognizing when you're lucky, because I've tried lots of different ventures like most entrepreneurial types and most of them didn't work or worked marginally well and this one just had what it took you know i took what i had learned about marketing and branding and positioning and i created a category and a niche and i started to grow it and i uh, you know i recognized that the, the scalability of it when it came so i just followed it And for the first oh you know five years or so um we were growing at a clip of whatever two to three hundred percent a year um you know i don't, I don't the exact numbers off the top of my head, but it was like you know 150 grand the first year, and then 500 thousand, and then you know a million and a half, and then five million, and you know it was it was really growing fast. And uh, over the last uh, year or two, um, as we've launched other businesses, you know I faced the challenge of um, once you, once your business gets up there in that 10 20 million dollar range, you start dealing with a whole different class of problems and challenges. And um, we've been uh, trying to figure those all out right now and uh, fortunately I think we've done a good job you know business is still growing and uh, we're coming back into what looks like uh, hopefully will be a good you know growth curve uh, right now as we found some you know important new team members um, generated some money internally to grow our uh, our acquisition and so forth but uh, yeah it's grown it grew pretty pretty fast scaled pretty fast
0: so let's talk about the first business obviously that you're there the infamous David D'Angelo and, and this was W dating um, Yes. And I mean, I've I've read your stuff. I've studied your stuff. I think this kind of stuff is really important for anybody to study because I think it. <laughs> just about every guy that I've ever met could, could uh, definitely stand to improve their game. Yeah. Um, what made you qualified to to get out there and teach
1: it? Um, boy, you know, I don't think I would say I'm qualified at all. I don't know if I'd use that word <laughs> to describe what I am. Uh, here's what I see happening uh, right now, Adrian. Um, Modern reality is not about having letters after your name. It's not about having, you know, necessarily qualifications or certifications. Modern reality is about, uh, I want to learn different things in my life because all my basic Maslow's hierarchy of needs are met. So I want to go learn cool stuff like, uh, you know, how to learn things and uh, how to improve and how to go on adventures and how to play video games and, I want to, you know, learn how to have a better relationship. I want to learn how to be more healthy. So people are really going after uh, knowledge. Um, you know, I'm no exception. I'm a knowledge junkie. I went through a phase in my life where um, I was single. I lived in a new place. I was actually doing pretty well for myself financially, but I couldn't get a date to save my life. And I said, I, I got to do something about this. Um, I'm condensing a little bit longer story into just a few words here, but um, I said, all right, I'm going to figure this out. You know, I felt like a dork doing it, but I went and started reading books and going to seminars and getting to know dating experts, and what I found is that the stuff that other people were teaching was either kind of rehashed stuff from decades ago that seemed corny and ridiculous, or it was for relationships, which is after you get a date, or it. There was something about it that seemed not right, or maybe a little manipulative, or a little sneaky in some way. Um, and I tried everything, and I'm, you know, I'll try anything. I'm that kind of person. And, and you know, it just all was kind of hit and miss. And then I started hanging out with guys that really understood dating and attraction, and just kind of that whole thing. They just were naturals. They got it. And I watched what they did, paid attention, took me, you know, a few months of really watching before I saw. That they were doing things that no one else that I had found so far really noticed. So, you know, with my journal, I'd write down what I saw and I'd ask them questions and I'd go try something. And, uh, I just stumbled across like a whole body of knowledge that other, other people knew, but they didn't know they knew. They didn't know it was important. You know, guys who can go get a date anytime, they just think like everyone knows that and it's natural. They couldn't, they can't imagine that anyone would not know that. And uh, so they don't know that they know. I took that, kind of codified it, put it into a system, figured it out for myself, and then uh, banged out a book. I mean, it basically took me about three weeks to write the book. I locked myself in my bedroom. So my qualification, quote-unquote, is that I can get the result. You know, I can get the job done, and I can show you how to do it. And uh, I think that's not only a modern kind of paradigm, but it's something that uh, worked really well for me.
0: Well, I mean, I can, I can vouch for that. We went out many years ago and I, I, saw you, I saw you out and I, I'd say you have game. Um, I remember were <laughs>
1: swinging hooters and <laughs> you, you, you were, you were, you were pretty slick. So That's I, very <laughs> funny. Well, you know, you're talking about a time in my life where, and you know, I go through these different evolutions, right? Right now as we talk, I'm single again after a, a, a wonderful basically two and a half year relationship, um, with someone who's also still a very, very, one of my very best friends in the world. Um, but back then, which is what seven years ago as we have this uh, as we do this interview right now, um, I was at a little different phase in my life and that was uh, <laughs> that was a good time
0: yeah fair enough um, so so I mean we can say you uh, you had two skills: one was um, you, you had game and then the second was that you were able to sell and 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 be able to market that um, now you're going into you're expanding to other areas beyond dating. Um, I know you have the, the 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 women's dating side, and then um, you're going to some other markets as well. And I guess you can talk about what you you feel like talking about. Sure. Um, how do you how do you make sure that in each of these areas that you're dealing with someone who really is a, a content expert?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, even though I'm very marketing and sales oriented, and uh, you know, we, we, we teach dating advice, which is a little bit of a stigma around it. I have a personal values system and kind of an, uh, a moral and ethical compass that says, I won't sell anything that I don't kind of in my heart believe is worth 10 times what I'm asking someone to pay for it. So I try to have a high standard that just guides me all the time. I don't want to take the quick fix or do the, you know, the hustle or the selling of the soul. Um, I like being able to lay down my head every night and go to sleep and feel like I did the right thing and I was honest and I offered value in the world and I contributed. So that's kind of my, you know, my starting point. Um, so when I'm selecting another guru or content expert or we've got one that shows up that's proposed to us, um, which is maybe a little closer to the way that this worked, um, what I do is I just kind of say, okay, well, you know, what do you know how to do? Show me your products. You know, let me hear what customers have to say about it. You know, let's see how the thing works. Let's see how it works in the real world. And um, our, our first kind of uh, you know little um, child venture after Double Your Dating is uh, one of the guys that came to work with me early on. He watched it all happen as he helped build the business. Um, he was kind of the first business guy that uh, we, we brought on the team. And he said, you know, I actually know a lot of this same stuff, but for women. Like, I, I know the other side of the, the coin, and uh, I think I should write a book about this stuff. It just turned out that he actually did know a lot of this stuff, really got the psychology. So uh, he wrote a book called Catch Him and Keep Him, and we published it. And I took off, and I uh, did very, very well. And, um, you know, the results kind of speak for themselves in a way. You know, um, you, know you, you look at what the customers say, and they say this stuff is great, and it's really helping me, then... You know, you've got a match there, and it really works. Um, since but you then can we've...
0: be you can be doing a good job in selling, um, but you can still have high refunds. Um, yeah,
1: sure. Yeah, in uh, in in my experience so far is in selling information products by looking at what the customers say and talking to them at the live programs, um, which you know is something that I like to do a lot. Uh, you can you can get a feel for where. You know, where it's at. Like, I've been to a, I've gone to a lot of seminars. I've spent, I estimated once, and this was a few years ago, that I've probably spent 365 days of my life in seminar rooms. You know, paid, working for them, helping out, guest speaking, doing my own, you know, whatever. And most live seminars that you go to, there's kind of this feeling of, you know, people walking around in the back of the room kind of bored and complaining. You know, there's no energy. The, the people don't seem like they're really getting good results. They don't seem happy. You know, there's just that vibe. Um, whereas uh, at our programs, you know, I really try to take time to talk to our customers and so forth and interact with them, and you you can just see. I mean, when you re- read customer service e- emails, you'll see if most of the people are writing in because they're bummed out and they're unhappy and they want a refund, um, that's one temperature reading. If Like when I when I wrote Double Your Dating and started selling it, um, you know, I would read all, well, for the first six months, I did the customer service, so I'd read all of the incoming emails, and, you know, for every 50 positive emails, I'd get, you know, one person who would complain about something, and, you know, most of the complaints were things like, you know, a disagreement of style or something, like it, you know, it wasn't, your stuff just is bad, and I don't like you, you know, it was, you know, some some random thing I disagree with the way that you say to you know post personal ad, and I don't think that it's right or something. So, you know, I think that if you use your your good sense and you pay attention, you can figure out whether you're actually offering value to the world or whether you're just trying to sell something that's uh, you know been packaged up for for convenience. And you know, I think that uh, I think that our stuff's pretty good.
0: Okay, and you've done a lot of testing on your model. Um, what you can you talk a little bit about the model like what what comes in through your through your process like a, a click to, to where it comes in onto the side and then what
1: you what you do with them afterwards sure um, through studying marketing uh, in particular particularly early on learning from Jay Abraham uh, I learned about the concept of the back end and what most people that start most entrepreneurs who start businesses and most newbies are trying to do is just get people to buy their thing and they don't realize that you know almost all money in a business is made after the customer buys their first thing and they come back and buy other stuff which you know it's obvious to uh to most people that run businesses now but when i started out it was just an ebook and then we uh added an email newsletter and that was a huge breakthrough for us because you know in the in the beginning it was i got a product i'm sending people to a page and they've got one choice they can either buy the book or leave well, then we started offering a free email newsletter, and so, you know, when you when you sign up for that, I'm going to communicate with you over and over and over, and maybe you won't buy today, but you know, it might take you 10 or 20 or 50 uh, communications before you finally say, well, okay, this guy knows what he's talking about. I'm going to purchase his stuff, or maybe you were not single the first time you came; you were just curious, and you thought your relationship was going to end, and then three months later, it did end, or. Maybe you were single when you got on the newsletter, but you didn't trust it, and then you got a relationship, and then six months later, you you know, were single, and now you need to buy. So it's this whole moving parade thing that's happening. So we created that, and my goal when we created our email newsletter was to create the most valuable newsletter in the world on any topic, and then to give it away for free, because I could see that the internet allowed you to distribute content and kind of syndicate content uh, very economically. I mean, I could... I can sign up for a $20 autoresponder system, uh, at one of these email companies and load up my list of 10,000 or 100,000 and I can be emailing them every few days for 20 bucks a month. And that's just nothing like that, nothing that even approximates that has ever been, uh, available to the, an average person. I mean, the closest you could get before that was like radio or TV, which you had to have serious money and, you know, you had to be a real pro to do it. Email newsletter? simple. So I said, well, this is where things are going to go anyway. Information wants to be free. So I created this thing, and that, that really changed the game. So now what we do is our model, it really does depend completely on the back end. And in, we, what we do is we sell information products. So we're basically selling know-how, knowledge, techniques, uh, systems for getting particular results you want in life. Um, so uh, you know, a model that seems to work pretty well for that is colleges." And what they've done pretty well is create curriculums. So when you go to college, you don't say, okay, I'm going to take a PhD level course first, and then I think maybe I'll go try one of these freshman level, 100 level courses, and, uh, and then I'll do this, you know, other thing on the side, this, you know, master's degree course. There's a, there's a process. There's a framework that you go through. So we basically create curriculums where there's a, a program that you start with, and then we recommend the second program, and then we recommend the third one, the fourth one, and there's some variation, you know, to where you go, and we kind of make recommendations on how to do that. Um, and then what we did is we created a technology platform that, uh, when someone comes and buys one of our products, it automatically upsells and remarkets other products in a certain sequence, so that you know we're offering you this curriculum uh, as you become a better and better customer. And yeah. you can
0: then set triggers so that you know if someone's fallen outside of that routine that, that you, you expect them to, to proceed along so that you can save them if, you, if they're not becoming a customer and bring
1: them back on the path. Is that right? Um, you know, I don't know exactly what, what you mean by that, but I'll say it this way. Um, we've set it up in such a way that the you know the machine is intelligent, so it knows what you do and don't own and it uses multiple methods to market and sell to you. So, you know, it, it walks you through the process um, in a, a semi-automated way, the way a person would, but it does it as a machine, so it, you know, is much more scalable.
0: Uh, it's a, it's a, there's a book, and I've, I've forgotten the name of it. I've got it here somewhere, but it's, uh, what the, it's the systems they set up for the Home Shopping Network, and they just had a ton of data. They were able to analyze all of the, the buying procedures that a typical customer would take And then they could set triggers that if a customer was proceeding on a different path or they hadn't heard from them for a while or something like that, that would set them onto a a different process and so they'd do different things to then steer them back in and and continue being customers. It's pretty powerful. Exactly.
1: Yeah, and we, uh, we do some of that type of stuff as well, you know.
0: Probably your team does that and you're like not that involved in it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well at this point, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm the typical distracted entrepreneur. I'm more interested in, uh, screwing things up that are working than uh, making them work better Uh, so you know we got that thing pretty far along and uh, I haven't really worked on tweaking that part of the system uh, in a few years because uh, I've been focused on kind of other areas of the business but you know for for a little business like ours it's fairly sophisticated
0: yeah no I mean that's and that's that's powerful in that stuff so yeah. so where are you where are you going? I know you you you, you we're gonna to have to talk about get altitude and some of the things you've done there, but where yeah where where are you headed long term?
1: Well honestly, um I'm one of these kind of uh weird, you know, new age entrepreneur types that uh actually thinks that uh I you know I might be able to contribute make some kind of difference in the world in a significant way down the road. Um, maybe not me as an individual, but kinda as uh As someone that, you know, influences maybe a lot of people, is connected to a lot of people, um, is connected to a lot of other people that are concerned about the bigger issues that we're facing, kind of as a species and as a planet. And uh, all of this stuff that I'm trying to do is just help that in some way. You know, help the world evolve, help the world solve different problems. I have a lot of passion uh, around education, and I think that... um, you know if you just look at various problems that uh that occur in human interactions and in human development a lot of it really comes down to you know people don't have access to uh education and we've got children who are growing up and, you know and staying immature so it's like children having more children and it's uh it's a big issue you know a lot of a lot of overpopulation stuff you know a uh, disease um Many different things. And I think that the internet, uh, my my gut tells me that the internet is uh, a, a huge leap forward in being able to solve some of these things. And ultimately, I'd love to you know help channel the power of technology that this amazing uh, species called humans have created and help use it to get all of us more educated so that we can all pull pull ourselves up by our bootstraps at least to um, you know, a level that I think most people would consider to be, uh, acceptable. And uh, I think education's a big piece of that. And I think entrepreneurialism, uh, is a big piece of that puzzle as well. And so some of my work that I've been doing lately is teaching, um, entrepreneurs how to start businesses, uh, teaching authors, speakers, coaches, kind of how to publish their own stuff. And, uh, just trying to learn what it takes to do that. And it, it actually turns out that it's a huge challenge. It's harder than I thought. Um, there are a lot of intricacies, but, I you know, down the road, hopefully, you know, combining technology, education, entrepreneurialism, and maybe mobilizing more of the people that uh, are thinking in this way and are concerned about uh, our planet, where we're going, some of the challenges we face, trying to focus them on uh, – uh, Solving some of these problems—that's that, kind of the general picture.
0: So, why, um, are you, why are you in the entrepreneurial world, and why not do that in the
1: nonprofit world or in the, in the government world? Oh, you know, great question. I would love to work in those worlds, and um, I've started helping some folks who work in those worlds on a semi-formal or an informal basis. But I think that. From what I know, and I'm, I'm not the world's most experienced guy here, this is really the, you know, the, the I don't know, the, the layman's perspective, or not even the, lay, the layman's perspective, like the, the newbie's perspective at this. Government and non-profits, the people that I've known that worked in those worlds and, you know, what I've studied, they're not very good at execution. And, yes. Right? doing things in a results-based way.
0: I spent five years in the non-profit world and um, it's been interesting to see that the the guys that I worked with 10 years ago, most of them haven't gotten anywhere and they fell in the area of execution. And
1: I've got to tell you something. I mean, this is a a weird thing to say, but I think they may have jinxed the entire process by calling it non-profit. Yeah. Right? Like actually calling it non-profit and wearing that as a badge... you know, makes you unconscious to the fact that you're, in a way, sabotaging the results aspect of it. Um, Also, uh, people that are drawn to public service, um, I'm very into psychology and personality types and what have you, a lot of people that are drawn there, that just start out there and live there all their life, um, they never, they, they don't have the personality type that's profit and results and execution oriented, and they don't hang around those types. So they also tend to be very fair minded, egalitarian. Um, you know, they'll sacrifice themselves when you know the team of ten people is sitting around a table and they're trying to solve a problem. Everyone needs to be heard, and it's a you know, wonderful intentioned people. I mean these these are people that are would get, literally will give their life, and I don't mean like they'll die. It's almost more powerful than that. They'll give, you know, all the days of their life and their work to making the world better, but they didn't get the, the transmission of the execution. Now, I, I look at everything in the world, like every body of knowledge or every uh, system uh, that's been created from, you know, religions to uh, the military to the sports world, and I say, what did they figure out how to do? And in business, for whatever reason, what we've figured out, out how to do as business people, um, the best uh, business people, is execution, is organizing groups of people to get particular results, right? To, to, to mobilize and execute plans, uh, to uh, use our creative minds to get around challenges, and uh, to do this in the uh, in the name of results. And there's this profit motive, which, by the way, I think has gotten out of hand. And, you know, I think that there's something to the idea that big corporations that uh, have to answer to their shareholders with profit and are willing to do anything to get it, I think there's something to that. Um, although I think that most business people... Uh, Are actually good, good good-hearted people, and want to make you know are positive and want to make a difference. Because I've interacted with them a lot now, and when I was poor, I looked at you know these people and said, oh, those must be bad people because they have money. You know, I got that programming. Now that I yeah, the the, uh, Robin Hood thing. Exactly. Now that I hang out with these people all the time, and I see, oh my God, most of these people are great people, and a lot of them are very charitable, and because they've become successful, they you know are doing a lot for the world. Um, But you know, I got off on a tangent here. But back to my point is. Business has figured out how to execute and big companies have figured out how to execute and they've also incorporated the profit thing. So it's not only execute and get results, but do it in a way that creates excess value. And I think that if we could harness some of that and, uh, create strategies and systems and then channel that over into the philanthropic world and over into the the government world and combine that with a little bit more of this new consciousness of involve everyone, give everyone a voice, um, but don't give everyone necessarily the same voice. I mean, we still need to have leaders. We need to have educated leaders who understand. And interestingly enough, when everyone gets a voice, they actually appreciate it when there's a leader around who is making the decisions and figuring out what needs to happen, you know, and integrating the voices. But when everyone doesn't have a voice, when they feel like they can't contribute, then they're just mad at the leader. and They say that leader is bad and they're angry with him. So we've got to incorporate a little more, you know, getting everyone a voice. But if we could take what we figured out in business and use it to make the world better, I think we're all going to, uh, you know, succeed a lot better and the whole species is going to succeed. And in fact, uh, you know, seeing Bill Gates, um, you know, make the decision to leave Microsoft and then go run his foundation, I think that was a, a like a transitional moment in a way uh, for the, for this whole issue. And actually, maybe for our species, maybe for humans. Because we got the richest guy in the world who said, okay, you know, I did the richest guy in the world thing. Now I'm going to go run and I'm going to put my time into helping the world and I'm going to, you know, donate all this money to it. That's huge. You know, when, when a person does something, when they walk their talk, they, they don't just say, I'm going to, you know, donate some money over here, but I'm going to actually go commit. And I, I'll bet you that that uh, foundation uh, when, you know, when we look over the history of all the different foundations of what they've done, I'll bet that one's going to have made huge strides. And I'd love it to will. I mean, Rockefeller
0: that. did that too. Um, I mean, he, he, was the one that spawned, he was actually into homeop- 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 homeopathy. I don't know how to pronounce it. Home. Mm-hmm. He was into a lot of natural stuff. And, but he ended up, his money ended up funding a lot of modern medicine, the invention of it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a good point. It's funny, basically everything you've said over the last, like, couple of minutes on, Non-profits and the business side and execution is pretty much, I could have said it all word for word. And um, I, I've got a posting on my blog which I will email to you and anyone's interested is, is on this topic. Um, I've noticed from these interviews that one of the most powerful concepts for developing businesses is uh, incubators and incubators which last only for a short time to test a couple of businesses and then drop the bad ones and keep the good ones. And I also have noticed, uh, living in the third world for seven years, that there's there's sometimes not the educational level or the capital to test different ideas, and so an idea that I'm, I'm interested in that maybe I'll put into into execute and, and work on in, in future uh, at some point will be the idea of an incubator in the third world to test lots of different business ideas using uh, local concepts and capital from wealthy countries like the U.S., and then once ideas that are... That can serve, help solve social problems, um, try and, and do things that are scalable so that there are ideas that can be rolled out all across third world countries as, as will fit. So I'll send you that posting, but that's, that's the idea, and I agree with you completely.
1: Yeah, I was talking to a friend maybe a year ago who was getting involved in kind of microfinance and micro lending in third world countries, and he was talking about how, um, you know, the repayment rates are dramatically higher for these micro loans because, you know, if a farmer in India borrows 300 bucks to buy a, you know, an ox to plow the field, like he needs to have that ox to feed his family. I mean, like that thing is, you know, is critical and he needs to pay the loan off because he wants to buy another ox so he can plow the field again. Whereas, you know, someone here in America, let's say where we live, who gets a credit card for with $5,000 limit and, you know, goes and buys, uh, you know, a new flat-screen TV and, you know, some cool wheels for their car and whatever. It's just not the same.
0: Well, actually, I, I, I mean, the Mohammed unit stuff, he, he's, I, I find him fascinating. I was watching an interview with him on PBS a couple of weeks ago. His, um, one of the things that I think about that model is that it's kind of shameful that it's only been around for like 10 or 15 years. I mean, why the hell wasn't that invented 300 years ago and pulling people out of poverty before? So that sort of stuff, to me, should have been already being tested. The other thing is that apparently they're actually testing it now in, um, I think it's in New Jersey, Um, it's certainly in the the New York uh, tri-state area, and apparently it is working. And one of the reasons that it is working is because they put a lot of social pressure on the people. They have them um, join little groups and they have to go to meetings and things like that, Um, and that apparently helps keep people stopping from defaulting.
1: Yeah, that's that's fantastic. And I mean, you know, again, not to get too, uh, too out there but yeah. in studying developmental models of psychology and how groups of people develop and you know i it's only been recently that humans have started to as a you know in the, in the mass like culturally had the realization of hey we should take care of other people outside of our group like that just hasn't been part of the equation before um up until very recently almost everyone on the planet was born lived died in the same place and didn't go more than a few miles like from wherever it was they didn't even know that other cultures existed and if they heard of one it was in a you know a folklore so now everybody's connected everyone has access to the internet you know you can see other cultures all the time there's travel i mean probably you know a third or half the world is still in the situation that i just mentioned you know and they're they're kind of coming up but the consciousness has just kind of awoken, right? And I think it's a developmental process that happens in the minds of people, and these are things that emerge. But I'm pretty excited about it because, you know, it's allowing those kinds of things to happen, and I think we're going to see that a lot more, especially with the uh, rise of the Internet and the tools and uh, processes that that facilitates.
0: So um, what's interesting to me about this conversation is we're talking about um, airy-fairy, fluffy stuff and doing good and all this kind of thing. Um, but at the same time, both you and I are hardcore Ayn Rand fanatics. Um, yeah. and there's a real contrast there. And uh, uh, I sent an email out to my list uh, maybe about six months ago after I had dinner with um, an extremely successful friend of mine who'd studied Ayn Rand at a very young age. And I, I felt that was one of the reasons why I was successful. And when I asked him about Ayn Rand, he, he said now that he thinks it's something that's absolutely toxic and, and creates a lot of bad things in the world. And you had a really interesting reply. Um, I'm just in general interested in, in understanding some more of your thoughts on Ayn Rand and, and how that's helped you and, and, and
1: its impact, and, and also the bad side. Yeah, any philosophy uh, or any you know kind of approach or paradigm or method of you know, perspective, whatever, they really are technology. They can be used for good or evil. They have their positive and negative sides, and we humans love controversy. We love to be able to, you know, point something out and say, that's good or that's bad or I've thought of that or I didn't think of that or, you know, we're, we're weird like that. So uh, in this particular case, there's a really interesting um, set of models that a guy named Claire Graves created. And he was a, a psychologist, actually a contemporary of um, uh, uh, Abraham Maslow, who created the, hier- you know, Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. And it's a it's a really interesting system that actually, in a way, is like another paradigm of the hierarchy of needs. And in the hierarchy of needs, you know, Maslow talks about going, you know, having the basic needs of survival and then, you know, safety and love and affection and, you know, higher needs of actualization and so forth. And um, I recently heard, uh, although I haven't really been able to confirm this in any way, I just read it, I think, in a book somewhere that at the end of his life, he said that, uh... actualization is not the high you know the top of the pyramid that actually there's a higher level which is transcendence where you transcend yourself and you go beyond which i think is relevant to this conversation but claire graves had a model um, that uh... you know now has been called things like spiral dynamics um, but it's a multi-level model of how human psychology evolves and emerges and it goes through these different stages and there are roughly seven stages. And the way that he figured this out was he asked people uh, a set of questions about their values, and he tracked them through their lives, and he found that people... He like he discovered this... He didn't like make this up. He just discovered that their answers followed like a ladder, the steps of the ladder, that they went through these processes, and that they always went from one level to the next level to the next level to the next, and that they didn't jump and skip levels, and that it was this kind of... You know, developmental psychology and each one is a different paradigm that transcends but also includes the other uh, levels and kind of uses them as a support um, a, a good metaphor or a good analogy for this is um, the triune brain model that Paul McLean came up with which is you know we have three brains in our brain we have the ancient reptilian brain and then we have the emotional brain that grew over that or the mammalian brain and then we had the thinking brain or the cortex that grew on top of that And now we've got, so that old physical, uh, brain and then we've got the, you know, the newer emotional brain and then we've got the very new logical thinking brain. These are the three realms of life, physical, emotional, and logical. And, you know, what we've, what we see though is that the emotional brain had to grow on top of the ancient physical brain. And so it had to use all of those mechanisms and kind of, uh, incorporate them and integrate them into this higher thing. Uh, so they're still there but now they're used in a different way in a different context and then the you know thinking brain, thinking brain grew on top of that and so you know we're not rational creatures we're emotional creatures that are actually these primal creatures that use the thinking brain for those ends whereas most of us have the illusion that our thinking mind is in control it's actually just being used as a tool kind of in a an unconscious way by most people to meet the ends of the older brains Well, this model is, that's just kind of an analogy for it, but this model basically says that we go through these different levels and we go back and forth between an individual orientation and a group orientation, and then we kind of evolve. And the Ayn Rand level is one of the levels in this particular system. In this system, it's the the fifth level, or level five of Claire Graves' system. And it's an individual-focused level. It's the level of uh, kind of independence. It's very success-oriented. And part of its values system is I can succeed for myself as long as I do it in a way that doesn't really directly harm other other people. And this is the level that has led to kind of the Industrial Revolution and you know the me generation and all of this kind of thing in modern individuality it's probably the the largest part of our modern western culture the level beyond this the next level and this is the one that predictably once you're once you've used that level up once you've played that whole game you're you start to realize that there's conflicts in there and there are contradictions and you start realizing that Hey, I thought I was just creating success for myself and not harming anyone, but I never really looked at the bigger picture and saw how it is harming other people and how, you know, there are uh, issues with this. The next level beyond that is the modern kind of social, ecological, green movement or green awareness. And uh, this is when you 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 wake up and you say, Oh, wait a minute, we're all here on a round planet together, and anything that I do affects everybody else, and You know, other people are being marginalized for me to have success. And because the conventional level or the modern level is this Ayn Rand level, that's where most businesses are at, that's where most people are at, they're kind of trying to create success for themselves, the the rights of the individual. When they hear these, you know, the the, the people that have evolved and kind of moved on to the next level say things like, hey, things should be more fair, we should share more, Um, we should distribute things more, we should honor the ecology and the planet more, They look at them and they just say, you're wacko, right? You look like you're crazy. That's one of the other rules of this system, basically, is anyone that's at any different level from you looks like they're either criminal, wacko, insane, you know, out of their mind. So they look at that level, and instead of saying, what's good in that, what can I learn, they just say, oh, you sound like a hippie and a tree hugger, and they disrespect it. And unfortunately, actually,
0: before you go on, I just uh, about a couple of weeks ago, actually after the uh, weekend in Chicago, I went to Philadelphia and spent uh, a couple of days staying with uh, real old order Amish people. Almost impossible to do, and I managed to do it, and it was amazing. What level are those guys sitting at?
1: You know, I'm not really familiar with the Amish culture, so I don't know. Um, and you know, a danger here is, of course, making one sound better than another, which. Right. there there isn't you know this is a you know it's just a it's just a, a kind of a natural evolutionary process it 's like saying you know is a a child better than an adult or you know it's just not 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 on that level um but anyway so we've the kind of the leading edge right now in a way is this uh ecological social consciousness movement where people are waking up and realizing wow there's more to this than I thought it 's not just me, and you see it just sweeping i mean now it's going through business with social entrepreneurialism and you know, all these huge companies are leading the way by donating massive quantities of money and stock and whatever to charities and, you know, the thing Bill Gates getting involved with running his uh, charity. So we're seeing this as a, uh, as a, as a leading edge, uh, that's showing up. But there's a big, you know, there's a lot of pain and challenge that comes going from one level to the next. So Ayn Rand is incredibly valuable because it helps people go from the level before the Ayn Rand level, or this level five, which is, you know, kind of the, uh, communist Russia, let's just say, which is, you know, uh, hierarchical, um, you know, kind of the central planning, everything is rules and laws and, you know, a, a much, uh, much less free kind of a mindset. So what Ayn Rand does is it helps people escape from that level. But you got to go through that level to get to Ayn Rand's level. Once you get to Ayn Rand's level, at which the world was ready for when she showed up, and she put it in a way that just made perfect sense to everybody, she helped a ton of people evolve out of the level four and evolve into this level five. But like anything else, like a set of religious beliefs that are fundamental or a set of business paradigms or even a product that you have in business, if you get too attached to it and it becomes sacred, you you don't realize that there's another level after it, you know? I mean, uh, you know, as, as an example, most great religious leaders or teachers, they changed and evolved as they grew when they were alive, but when they died, their followers took that that level that they were at and kind of stopped and said, no, this is the way it's supposed to be forever. And then some new people will always break off and say, no, 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 we're going to keep evolving. And that's why even religions branch out and grow because some people carry the torch and some people say, no, no, it's got to be, you know, kept this exact way. So some people get stuck and they read Ayn Rand and they say, you know, she's, you know, she's my new, uh, guru and they do everything that way and it works for them. So they, you know, they buy into it a little too much rather than realizing, hey, there's a level that you can keep going to beyond that. And then even beyond the, uh, the kind of the sixth level there's another one which you know maybe there are a few percent of the population that are at um, which is where you really wake up and you become conscious of it's like i think einstein if you know i'll use a few examples here einstein picasso um maybe alan Ginsberg, the poet uh, these are these are people who are bringing the seven level into modern consciousness And the theory of relativity did a lot for us, I think, because Einstein showed up and said, look, uh, everything is your perspective. Where you're at at the particular, you know, at the moment when you're observing something, that's just your perspective. And all perspectives are partial. No one can ever know the entire picture. So, let's stop talking about absolutes. Let's talk about perspectives. And then you realize that there are all these perspectives happening simultaneously and that your perspective and someone else's perspective are always different and that nobody's right and you can only just keep learning more perspectives. And there are multiple time intersections. And you wake up when you get to level seven and you go, hey, wait a minute, all the people I know, they're all living their lives right now and they're doing things and having conversations that are going to affect me down the road. And complexity uh, starts to emerge into the, into the mix. You also stop sitting around a table like they do at level six and all having everybody having an equal say and you realize you know what everyone needs a voice but they also need leadership and they also want to have someone who's more experienced making the decision about which direction to go and hey i'll be the leader for this thing and you should be the leader for that thing because that's a different thing that you know more about um and so you know einstein relativity picasso you start seeing pictures that Incorporate a hundred perspectives at once in the picture. You know, when I first saw a Picasso picture, and it's like, you know, the nose from this angle and the eye from this angle, and they're kind of overlaid on each other, I said that just doesn't make any sense. What's going on? Then I learned that Picasso uh, was essentially a perfect realist artist when he was sixteen or something, and could draw. Or paint Dude, you
0: can't in. do this to me. I hate art, and if you talk about it in this kind of way, you're going to make me
1: start wanting to learn about it. And... <laughs> well, I mean, look, that, this I is mean the that stuff makes that... a lot of sense. This is what turned me on to it. And you realize, oh, he's showing multiple perspectives at once, and then you know you 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 hear a poem like Allen Ginsberg's poem "Howl," which you know I'm I'm no big fan of poetry, but he's talking about all of these different things and all this imagery and one thing after another and you know one thing about you know the streets and then another about his feelings and another thing flying over here and this and that and the other and all this stuff, even though it's crazy and it sounds schizophrenic, there's something compelling. And it's because he's incorporating all of these multiple perspectives simultaneously. So this is starting to emerge, and uh, you see a lot of great business leaders, a lot of great uh, thinkers right now are at this level, and they're starting to, you know, they're really saying, look, guys, you know, we're on a round planet here. We've got to treat people better. We've got to have good leaders. We've got to stand up. And and also at this level, this is where the individual identity um, or ego starts to um, face a big challenge. You know, you start to deal with um, realizing that it's not all about you, and you, you start to have even more ego death. And you start to kind of have, oh, you know what? I'm part of the species. You know, there were a hundred billion people that lived before me. That's one estimate that I read. You know, over the couple hundred thousand years that our species has evolved, I'm just one of them, and I have inherited what they figured out before, and I could contribute to all the others. And, uh, you, you know, you see how it all fits together. And so, you know, I don't know if that answers the question directly about Ayn Rand, but it's very valuable. Her stuff was incredibly important to our species and to the development of our species. But, like anything else, if you get too stuck in it, um, it'll become your prison. And businesses right now, I, I see, you know, my perspective at this moment is that too many big corporations have gotten stuck in the Ayn Rand mentality, which is profit at all cost, and kind of turn a little bit of a blind eye to the effects that they're having in the bigger picture. And I think as more businesses wake up and move to a higher level, that we're going to see more awareness. We're going to see more, you know, serving our species. We're going to see more education contribution. And then as more people actually make that next jump uh, up to the next level and more businesses do um, and use the internet to uh, solve lots of problems and so forth i think we're going to see a renaissance i mean you know it's like we're either headed we're either headed into uh uh something really scary with nanotechnology and it's going to be a matrix type of situation or hopefully we're going to see a um, renaissance version 2.0 which is what uh you know i'm hoping to try to help create in some way and i think that these evolutionary levels of psychology could help make that happen as long as we don't get too attached to the one we're at and we always seek the next one and help other people grow through theirs.
0: Who would you say are some people that are at this level seven today? It's almost like you have your own version of Scientology.
1: Yeah, you know, um, the, the, the weird thing about it is, you know, Claire Graves just, he just measured what people were already doing. You know, he didn't invent this stuff, so to speak. He just kind of codified what was already happening. Um, a, a thing to make it more complex and confusing before I answer your question is that the developmental models of psychology are profound. Um, I was talking to um, Nathaniel Brandon recently, who's actually, the, you know, he was uh, Ayn Rand's mate for a long time, for many years, and was her protege, and he went on to found Uh, essentially the modern self-esteem movement. He's thought of as the father of self-esteem and he wrote a whole bunch of books about it. And he's a wonderful guy, brilliant guy. And he said, if I had it to do all over again, I would have studied developmental psychology. He would, this is the the area he would have gone into. Like it's that profound. And uh, interesting little connection through the pieces. But developmental models are, are fascinating in that different parts of you evolve at different paces. So you may have heard, as an example, the multiple theories of intelligence uh, kind of concept where, you know, we, we're not, you know, IQ is just one equation. You know, there are other types of intelligence, like musical intelligence or physical intelligence or interpersonal intelligence. Well, you actually grow through the different levels of development at different levels with each. So you might be at level seven intellectually, but you might be at level three physically, or, you know, you might be at level five interpersonally you, you follow
0: here, I like emotional so, intelligence type stuff.
1: Yeah, exactly. So you, you, so you're the different parts of the different aspects of you are growing developmentally at different paces, and it's a good idea to check them all and see where they're at, and you know, kind of bolster and uh, work harder on the ones that aren't growing as fast because they actually work together. So when you say a level seven person, it's like you know, what do you mean? You know, there might be uh um, you know a musician that's performing at level seven or level eight or something in in music but when you sit down and talk to them you realize that they're kind of a barbarian in terms of their interpersonal or their social level um so i would say look at the people that are you know like bill gates who are doing something that there's something about that that just seems a little weird you know most people that are maybe not as fortunate as him, didn't have the opportunity, didn't take the opportunity, didn't get as lucky, you know, they're quote-unquote poor, would look at him and say, yeah, 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 that's great, but he owes that to the world because he's rich. Or, you know, they, they marginalize it in some way. Whereas I look at that and I say, there's something weird about a guy who's the richest guy in the world quitting making money and doing business, and actually going to work to make the world better and dedicating his time and money to that. There's something about that that's just a little weird. Why is he doing that? And I think if you if you look for that stuff, then you'll start finding these people. You know, Richard. Branson, I, I got
0: to come just. I mean, just to respond because I've read a lot of business history. You don't yeah. just think it's a case of getting tired and um, and just wanting to contribute back. You do
1: think there's something more to it than that. Well, I think that he's probably you know he's probably done done the Microsoft thing. He's like, all right, I'm done with that. No, you know. No argument there. He's probably, I want to get on to the next challenge. But the giving back piece is, uh, I mean, it's a very modern development. It's a a modern concept in a way. It's not something that, like, universally, you know, was something that you do. Um, You know, maybe there was tithing in the past, or you'd, you know, if someone begged and, you know, you'd give them a, a roll of bread that you baked or something like that. But it wasn't like uh, an organized, conscious thing that all we all humans do together, you know. Um, it's only been recently that, you know, you put a commercial on television and you show a starving child in Africa and people, you know, go, oh, and they become motivated and they, you know, donate money to it and so forth. So this, this consciousness is just kind of hitting us. And I think that when you see something like that, that, I don't know, it just it doesn't make sense, but you know it's the right thing that's where you can tend to find people that are working at a little bit higher level.
0: And I remember you mentioned something in an email about, um, is it something like political affiliations based on the level as well?
1: You know, um, so so politics is interesting in that there are many different political systems. And my my general perspective on politics is that most systems that I've looked at and I don't. this isn't my area of interest, so I don't really know much about it, I'm not even very much about our own, which is probably a little ridiculous, and I need to get a little more educated. But
0: so you a know lot the of these president, things, the Senate, and Congress, and stuff like that, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. So uh, most of the systems were, uh, I mean, like our system here in America, where I live, was created by some guys that, I mean, when, I, when you look at what they created, and you just kind of look at the bare bones, you realize these were some smart people. Like these, yeah. these guys really, really thought this through and worked it out, and we have done a good job of screwing up some of the good stuff that they created in a way. Um, the, the problem with political systems is that number one, they they tend to be, in in you know my experience, they tend to be very inefficient, and there's you, you know often some kind of fatal flaw involved with them, and uh, they're also easy to manipulate. Um, I've watched a lot of documentaries about politicians and uh, how they do things, and if you just if you just start watching documentaries um, about kind of political documentaries, you'll see stuff that will just blow your mind. Uh, yeah, do you want
0: to? I, I mean, I know I, that politics is an area you didn't want to talk too much about,
1: or do you want to keep talking about? You know, no, you no, it's fine. Uh, I was I was just going to say I was going to recommend that uh, I can't remember the name of the uh, the documentary. There was a documentary about uh, this guy Goni Sanchez. I think his name was. He was the uh he's from Washington but he, he was the president of Bolivia and uh it was a fascinating documentary and in the documentary they actually show i i was i was really proud of them for being this open about it but they actually show the the high powered political consultants from Washington flying down to Bolivia with him and they showed the focus groups and what the people were saying and then they showed how they used that in the marketing on the internet and or or on the i'm sorry on television and uh you know you would see them asking the questions and the 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 people in the focus group would give the answers and then he'd be on television parroting back the things that they wanted to hear. And, you know, you just get to see it. Like, there it is. It's not about what's best for the people. It's not about what everybody really needs. It's about he's listening to the words that they want to hear and then he's going on television and he's saying them and then he's doing whatever he wants. Or, you know, that's a generalization. But you get to see how it works. And, you know, we've seen in our own system, right, I mean, not too many years ago we had a uh, you know a president who was didn't you know got a minority of the votes win over someone who got the majority and the whole thing is just shrouded in scandal and you, you know it never will be figured out right but there's something going on there so in a way, a lot of political systems are kind of inherently corruptible um, and I think you know we probably need a new paradigm there as well and hopefully technology will help us technology combined with these new levels of uh, thinking and responsibility will help us do that.
0: I don't know if I yeah, answered so your the question The point is that democracy—the the, 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 they're all. What is it? Democracy
1: is the, the the best of the worst systems, or something like that. They're all. bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I, it's like uh, um, democracy is the worst form of government that's uh, you know in history, other than but, yeah, everything yeah, else has been tried. Is. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And you know what? Like anything else. It, there will be another paradigm that will go beyond democracy, but it will include it. It'll transcend it. You know, it'll take all the best from democracy, but it'll say, "Hey, we need a new paradigm because it didn't address a whole bunch of things." And, and I think that you know, we, you just, all you got to do is look around and you see something's wrong here. The people that are making all the money and keeping it, they don't seem to be adding value in the way that they should. The people that aren't, you know, making any money, there's something like. Something a little weird right there. It's you know something just doesn't seem right, and you know it's never going to be perfect. We're never going to live in an an ideal system, but I think we can keep getting better and better and better and better. Which overall, I'm I'm a long-term optimist. I mean I I think that uh, humans have created miracles, and we continue to do it. Um, We do a lot of bad stuff as well um, that we need to learn how to not do, but overall I see us getting better and better and better and sometimes we have to have a little uh, you know a little uh, let's just say humbling experience to help remind us that we're not infallible and sometimes we have to see some some very negative stuff in order to wake up but I think we're on the right track I think a lot of great stuff is going to happen
0: well um, I expected we were going to have a conversation about marketing and maybe split testing and talk about W dating and all this sort of stuff (laughs) We can we can talk about people <laughs> t- testing if you want. <laughs> no, I don't want to. This I think I mean this is I've never had a conversation with anyone in these uh, interviews about philosophy and I think um this is very appropriate. Um so so good stuff. Awesome. Um is there anything that we cuz we're we're pretty much out of time is there anything that uh, you would like to talk about that we haven't
1: Uh I don't think so. I mean I understand that Um, most of the people that are probably going to hear this are successful business people, entrepreneurs, CEOs, that, that type of folk. And, um, what I'd like to communicate to you is, you know, number one, if the stuff that I'm talking about doesn't sound too wacky and, um, you know, it makes sense down the road at some point, reach out and connect with me and let's have a conversation about it because I always love to meet people who are interested in the same kind of stuff. And, uh... You know, keep uh, keep going. Keep fighting the good fight. You know, let's try to make this world a better place. Evan Pagan, thanks very much for your time. Thank you.